You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at HerdPodcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Tonight, we are joined by the executive chef and mixologist at M Cantina in Dearborn, which is also celebrating two years in business, Junior Marino. Junior, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me here, and thank you for the invitation. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah. we're excited to talk to you. This is um, I, I just went to M Cantina yesterday for the first time, um, and I have to say it was one of the most unique experiences I've had in a long time. Um, not even uh, not even qualified as like a uh, unique in, in, as a Mexican restaurant, but just unique in general. It's a very thoughtful experience, and I, I was over overwhelmed by how wonderful it was. Um, oh, look at this! It's always, so it's always nice when. Uh, People bring food in here. Yeah. So, so <laughs> okay. So, Junior, what, what was just brought into the room here? So, what we have here is actually our fajita bites, and it's uh, something to kind of like start with. We we call them tapas, mm-hmm. uh, or in uh, Mexico, it would be antojitos. Uh, also, it it depends what part of Mexico. On what we do at M Cantina is really like uh, we call it cocina de autor, author's cuisine. So it's very thoughtful. Is Outside of the box is different, and we're using utilizing Mexican ingredients or Mexican flavors. But like uh, you said before, it's actually uh, more about the experience of the consumer finding something unique and getting them out of their comfort zone. Yeah, so I, I want to go back in, in time a little bit before M Cantina, and um, you were known as, and maybe you still are known as, the Liquid Chef. So can you talk about that for a moment? Yeah, the Liquid Chef is actually. Uh, uh, it was a company that w- I started uh, 12, no, like 15 years ago I, in New York, and it all started as a nickname at one of the restaurants. Uh, I was coming from the back of the house from cooking to uh, being a bartender, and so I never really had any formal training as a bartender, but I knew the kitchen, so I started making uh, syrups and infusions and all of these crazy drinks with cucumbers and everything from the kitchen that people started to call me the liquid chef back in like 2000, 2002, around there. And so someone said, you know, that's a great name. Why you don't make it uh, the name of uh, your company and do consulting? Because people started to come to me to do consulting. And that's exactly what I did. So we registered the company and started doing consulting, not just in the U.S., but all over the world. And um, so the Liquid Chef, it was all about cocktails, but with alcohol. Because M Cantina, it's a non-alcoholic mixology. So obviously there's zero alcohol. We wanted to do something for the community. You know, I I live in Dearborn and the restaurant is in Dearborn. And that area where M Cantina is, there is a large uh, Muslim population. So I wanted to do something that would be unique and that would still... Uh, showcase my passion for mixing drinks and for cooking and for everything that has to do with the restaurant business. But at the same time, it's not just obviously for the Muslims, it's for everyone, but I wanted to incorporate to make everyone feel uh, good about, you know, coming to M Cantina. Now, I have a question about that because you're a halal Mexican restaurant, correct? Correct. Okay. So to get that distinction, what does that mean? And does that, is that one of the reasons why you can you be halal and serve alcohol or no? Well, uh, if you're halal, if the restaurant is halal, um, you cannot advertise it halal. The, the food is halal, would be halal. Okay. In this case, the restaurant 
because we have zero alcohol. And it depends also who you talk to in the uh, Muslim community. Uh, some of them will tell you that if you're serving halal food, the restaurant is halal. But uh, a lot of them will tell you that if you have alcohol on the premises, uh, you cannot call the, the place cannot be halal. So um, I think, uh, you know, I decided to do something that would be, that would make everyone feel comfortable. And since basically no Mexican restaurant has ever been halal before, they have had halal chicken, halal beef, and things like that, or a couple of dishes here and there. But here we're only serving um, everything halal. And I want to clarify something because sometimes people think that it's a spice or it's a flavor. And it has nothing to do with the flavor. The flavor is still Mexican ingredients and Mexican flavors. It's just that the meat, the way the animal was slaughtered, it's the, it's the only process. So it has nothing to do with the flavor. And so uh, I think it has been, it has opened a lot of doors and uh, it has also uh, created a lot of curiosity from people about, you know, uh, I don't drink a lot. So I think that also helps that uh, I'm not a big drinker. I've never been. And uh, I think uh, people need to have options. And I, if I had alcohol, it would be great too. But it's um, I can also do it without the alcohol part. I mean, I can tell you from the the two the two cocktails I had yesterday, you don't miss the alcohol. Um, but I do. I want to go back to a point you just made: is that you're not a big drinker, you never have been, but you were. I mean, you built your name on cocktails. So how does that? How did? How do you play with that in terms of uh, knowing the flavors and stuff like that? I think. Uh, one of the things that has helped me uh, as a mixologist and uh, as a sommelier is that my palate has been very neutral. So I've never had a favorite of anything in the alcohol world. And I think that has a lot to do with also being able to create experiences unique enough because I don't have something that it's um, that I'm biased towards something. So I can work with whiskey. I can work with anything. You give me anything and I will make something taste good because of my background in the kitchen, because of my background as a sommelier, and because my palate, it's not biased towards one type of spirit or flavor. Okay. So um, the uh, the kind of path you've taken from – so you're, you're a trained sommelier. Yes. Chef. Yes. And, and, and bartender, mixologist. Um what made you go through all of the that type of training to, to get to that point? I, I think uh, the whole idea of everything I do, it's about the experience of the consumer. And I'm always really passionate to share uh, something unique, something different. And everything has to be made fresh. So a lot of people, they buy a lot, a lot of things frozen or a lot of things, a uh, few things here and there, pre-frozen or pre-made. In our case, we make everything in-house, syrups, salsas. You know, we have actually 18 salsas that every guest gets at the table, which we make in-house, everything freshly uh, daily. Our guacamole, our pico, it's made uh, many times throughout the day. And um, I think all of those things are the things that I'm really passionate to share. And our cocktails or mocktails or non-alcoholic uh, mixology cocktails, they're... Um, 100% made to order. So at the moment you order something, our bartenders or mixologists, they will make that drink. The only difference between, you know, a regular mixologist that we know at a bar is that they're putting alcohol, rum, tequila, whatever in, in the drink. Here, well, that's the only thing that we're compensating with something else. In the case of a mojito, we're utilizing fresh sugarcane juice instead of the rum. Because the sugarcane juice, that's where you make cachaça from, or you make sugar, and then from the molasses you make the, the rum. In this case, we're using the pure sugarcane juice to kind of give it that flavor and to compensate for the alcohol part. And uh, some of the other drinks, like our margaritas, we use like aloe vera. We use different things that kind of give that flavor. And also, once in a while, we I do create the flavor of tequila or mezcal, but they're just flavors. They contain no alcohol. Um, do, you, do you do a uh, 
any kind of focus on non-carbonated, um, non-alcoholic, or do, does is there some type of carbonation to a lot of the things? Y- yes, we do uh, carbonated drinks. Uh, we do a lot of different kinds of uh, carbonated drinks. Um, one of them, it's uh, we call it the amuse bush, and it means you know to open your appetite or to help because the bubbles, what it does, it cleanses the the taste buds, and also at the same time. It's something really refreshing with the cucumber, and we put a touch of uh, ginger beer. Now, ginger beer obviously has no alcohol because sometimes people hear the word uh, beer and they think that there is alcohol. And um, so what I brought here uh, for you, this one with alcohol is called South of the Rio. And um, without the alcohol at M Cantina, we have it with a different name so that people distinguish the difference. And that one has jalapeno, cucumber, a touch of agave, and also, it's going to have aloe vera. And on the rim, it has a hibiscus and rose uh, rim that it's one of uh, my products. And um, so the whole idea is it's to create those kind of experiences that are unique. And right here, we have our ceviche. Our ceviche is coconut and passion fruit. Ceviche comes with the nitrogen underneath. The nitrogen, what it does, it, it helps to maintain the ceviche very cold because it creates these ice crystals underneath. And... It comes with the chips. This way you're able to uh, scoop out the ceviche and enjoy it. And it's very unique, very different. What I wanted to create, again, it's it's a unique experience. Yeah, so let's talk about this. Um, in this, the kind of the articles I read about you is your focus on the five senses. Yes. Let's talk about that for a second. So the five senses, you know, we all eat actually everything we do is around the senses, you know, from – the moment you see something when you go to the store or you're looking at a dish or at a drink and it looks really beautiful, you don't know how it tastes, but uh, by the way it looks, it it's enticing enough that you're asking about it and then you might get it. The other thing is that sound plays a huge role in this because the sound, when we're shaking a drink, you hear the ice, you know, the beautiful uh, sound that it makes. Or when you're cooking the sizzling of the meat or we have our uh, sizzling plate, it comes to the table, it's smoking, it's uh, sizzling. And all of that gets you really excited because you want to taste it already. And then um, aroma, it's 80% of what we taste. So it's the most important sense, you know, in terms of flavor, because that's really the one that defines the flavors. Is the one that is going to tell you how fresh it is. It's going to tell you what, what you're tasting and that's one of the reasons why we actually never recommend straws to drink a cocktail or a mocktail or anything. Um, you know, like let's say you were drinking wine with a straw, you wouldn't be, be able to actually really fully enjoy that wine because wine has acidity, has a pectin, has different kinds of uh, elements that all of those, when they come together, they create this beautiful sensation. And it's the same with food. It's the same with uh, non-alcoholic or with alcoholic beverages. And when you put it in your palate, your palate is just a confirmation of everything that you saw, that you tasted, that, that you smell, that you touch. You know, touch, it tells you the temperature. It, it's, this is really hot. This is really cold. It also, uh, energy is transmitted to the food, especially food is one of the, the items that, when you're cooking or making a drink, your energy is being transmitted to that dish. So when you taste something and it tastes so good, that means that that person is very happy to serve you. And you can always tell when someone is angry, the food is not going to taste good because they don't care what they're doing. They're just tossing things there. And that's the difference with food. One of the things I always tell my employees, when you guys come here, forget about everything else because we're going to touch things. We're going to work with our hands. Even though we have gloves on, our energy is still being transmitted to the food. And food, to me, is respect, and it's also life. You know, because what we eat is what we are. And it could get you sick, or it could make you really healthy. Back to, um, I know we're talking about senses, but go back to the food for a second. So this is what you would consider traditional central Pueblo Style. Uh, it's actually inspired on Central Mexican cuisine because I was born and raised in Puebla. But uh, this is more of a Mexico City style, you know, more modern. 
it's not really fusion because we're not really putting the you know other types of cuisine in it but it's uh it's really modern it's kind of like a modern take of uh Mexican cuisine you know we're making things look and taste you know uh, really nice and elegant so we got something coming in right now. We're moving some room around here. This is—is is there a shrunken head in, in this thing? <laughs> so, so this looks like a, a smoking Ooh, coconut. Smoking, yeah. Yeah. So, so this is our smoky pina colada, or smoked pina colada. Um, this one it's uh, really interesting because uh, we go back to the about the aroma. You know, even though the smoke it's encapsulated around the coconut, when you taste it, you're gonna be able to taste the smokiness because you're going to start to smell it right away. So you're already smelling smoke. Yeah. Yep. How, how is it? What, what kind of smoke are you? What kind of? Uh, this one is actually a hickory uh, smoke. Uh-huh. So, um, and then we usually put a, a lot of like really cool fresh fruits. So when you can eat them, it's a playful uh, drink. Uh, again, you know, you don't, uh, in my case, I don't really think uh, it's a, a necessity or a must. Even though, you know, it is really cool. It would be amazing, too, with rum, you know. Don't right. take me wrong, but, right. uh, yeah. So, so I, I, have a, I have a question about, the like, the presentation of these items because there's so much thoughtfulness that goes into this. Um, how did you come up with the, the concept of the smoky pina colada or even the, the ceviche, how it's presented? Well, the, the way I think is that if you go to M Cantina, you go there for an experience, and that's one of the reasons why we actually don't do changes or substitutions because the the whole experience would actually be lost. And um, so, in this case, you know, we want people to try it the way it was created because it was so uh, every little thing was really thought about it. You know, like, uh-huh. a, and um, so when you try it and you taste it the flavors are just really unique and very different. I always say that uh, if you want a regular piña colada, every place basically can make you a regular piña colada. But uh, a smoked piña colada and the way with the flavors and the combinations and the ratios and everything, that's where we come in because it's going to be a unique experience, even though it is a piña colada, you know? So if you go back... Uh, you know, two or three, three, even three years, like when you're in the planning stages for M Cantina, this drink comes up into your head. What kind of testing do you go through to create something like this, the smoky pina colada? Well, th- there is actually a lot of uh, testing that we go through. One of the reasons is because sometimes people think of something and in our heads it works out mm-hmm. or it mm-hmm. works. And then you try it and you're like, wow, the smoke dominates or it's uh or the flavors don't go together the whole idea is that when you taste it it tastes as good as the way it looks because sometimes things look so beautiful and then you try it and you're disappointed the whole idea at m cantina is that everything has to be as good as the way it looks and i i don't want to make something look really appetizing and then you try and you're disappointed. You're like, wow, well, you know, it's it looks so beautiful, but now I'm really disappointed. Um, the whole idea, it's more about the flavor. And then the presentation is extremely important because I think everything it's done, the first impact is with our sight. It's with our eyes. So whatever we see, we it makes us, makes us want it or it makes us, uh, it turns us off. So that's the idea of M Cantina. You know, I get that with nachos. <laughs> I, I, nachos to me always looks like something that, like, oh man, this is going to be great, and then you bite into a chip that doesn't have cheese on it, or bite into a chip that doesn't have beans on it, or you know, whatever it is. Like it has that kind of, you know, uh, feel. I, I know exactly. I mean, I know you're talking more on a higher artistic level, but just like a plain old nacho yep. thing. To me, yeah, and I think it's interesting to point out that these fajita bites are essentially individually yeah. formed nachos. Right, so you get the perfect bite with every right every bite. Right, because nachos in general you can't you can't do that with. So, but they yep. look good when it comes out, you know, because it's got that whatever the top layer of chips are baked and whatnot. And um, so is is some of this things that you you've experienced and you said, man, I really didn't like that. It looked great. I didn't like it, so I want to do something similar, but but I want to make it. Uh, you know, seven, 
notches up, right? <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. You know, I, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've traveled so much, uh, not only in Mexico, I've been to every state, but uh, I've traveled to over different countries and tried the different styles of food and different styles of cooking. So our cooking style, it, we do incorporate techniques from all over the world, but at the end of the day, it's to make that uh, experience very unique. Most of our food does take about 12 hours to cook for a lot of them because, you know, we uh, slow cook everything. And it, it comes from trying a lot of, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say bad food, just like food that wasn't really, um, people didn't really care at what they were doing. They were just doing it because it was a job or because it was uh you know, they had to do it because it was a business. In my case, it's my passion. It's my love. It's what I do. It's what what I've always wanted to do. I don't see myself doing anything else but the restaurant business. How do you convey that to your staff? How do you translate that message from uh, what your passion is to make sure that your staff has that same kind of passion? I think it's, uh, honestly, it's very, very tough to translate that or to actually uh, pass that on. Because uh, a lot of the people that um, sometimes we get, they say they're passionate uh, about something. And, you know, there is wanting to do something because we think it's really cool or wanting to do something because uh, in my case, I think I, it's not a job for me. It's actually a vacation for me. <laughs> and people think I'm crazy. Being at the restaurant? Being, Being at, at the, the restaurant, restaurant yes. like a, yeah. Um, okay, so, and, and I apologize to everyone listening if, if we f- seem a little distracted. So, what's happening in the in the, in the studio here is, is something that has never happened before. We we have a constant stream of food coming in and and uh, is on the table, and the smells in here are pretty incredible. And drink um, and, and l- coconuts l- yeah. and sauces, it's all and kinds spices. of stuff here. So, um, let, so there's two trays of tacos that were just brought in. Let, let's are they both the the same? I mean, not the same in terms of, but uh, these are three of the same and those are three of the same? Yes. Okay. So what are the three that are on the table here? So this one's are our vegetarian. Uh, actually, they're vegan churrasco tacos. So uh, this is for, we do have a lot of options for the vegetarian uh, people, but they're delicious uh, because sometimes people think, okay, I don't really like vegetables. I'm not a big vegetable person, but I love the vegetarian tacos that we make there because at the end of the day, I do want every experience and everything that we have in the restaurant to represent what we do at M Cantina, which is that unique experience. So these um, mushroom churrascos, they have a little bit of our uh, vegan rice on the bottom, which is a uh, tomato-based. They have a really uh, nice yellow uh, color, and the flavor is going to be really nice of the rice too, and it's not very sticky. You know, I wanted to make this style that it's more... Um, you know, a little bit more modern of the of the rice because uh, Latinos we tend to make a little bit more of a sticky kind of rice, you know, and uh, more kind of wet. And then on top we put a chimichurri sauce, which is garlic, parsley, cilantro. It's very the way I made this chimichurri is very Mexican, so it's gonna have jalapenos. It's gonna have it's not very spicy, but it does have the jalapeno flavor. It has the cilantro, which is a kind of like a even though it's not native to Mexico, cilantro is still a trademark of Mexico. It was cilantro in everything. It's not native to Mexico? It's not native to I Mexico. I did not know that. It's actually, uh, it's more of a, more of a, like a Middle Eastern or, you know, it's not from Mexico. It was okay. brought from um, the Spaniards and everyone that started to come to the Americas back in the day, you know, like 500 uh-huh. years ago. And so Mexican cuisine, in reality, it's a, it's a fusion of Spanish Food like uh, our horchata in Spain, they make it with almonds, and um, or other kind of nuts. In Mexico, we make it with uh, rice, which I saw the horchata. Our horchata is right here. We make it with rice, uh-huh. and we make it fresh every single day. It does have the Mexican vanilla from Papantla Veracruz, and also it has uh, cinnamon. Cinnamon is one of the main flavors, so it's kind of like a spice. Uh, rice drink. Uh, that's why it looks milky, and it has a little bit of uh, coconut milk. Mm-hmm. And it's um, 
It's a delicious drink, very refreshing. But again, it's something we adapted from Spain. The same with our churros. You know, churros is a it's a Spanish kind of like a snack or dessert, and we adapted it, adapted it in Mexico, and we have our own style of doing it. And um, so the other tacos we have over there, those are actually our filet mignon tacos, which are delicious. Uh, filet mignon, obviously, it's uh, one of the top. Uh, quality cuts that are out there. And we, in Spanish, we have this dish called lomo salta, uh, saltado, oh, which yeah. which is uh, with uh, the bell peppers and the onions. Uh-huh. And uh, Well, this one is similar, but we wanted to call it filet mignon because obviously people are more acquainted or better acquainted with filet mignon than lomo salt, saltado. Uh-huh. And uh, we put the cheese, we melt it on top. It's really good, and we we use uh, there's this kind of uh, onions in Mexico called uh, cebollita cambray or cebollita taquera, and the way we make it, we make it crispy rather than just grill. You know, because usually you just grill it and put a little bit of oil, and they give it to you in a taco. In this case, we wanted to make it crispy, so it doesn't really taste like onions. So if you hate onions, don't worry about it. You know, there's a million different ways of uh, cooking onions. At the restaurant, we have about. 12 different styles of uh, making the onions. So when you taste it, don't expect fresh onions like uh, most, uh, the normal style of, we're not a taqueria, we're actually a restaurant that serves dishes on the tacos. So the tacos themselves, it's a fully uh, served dish with every single element there. So it's just ready to be eaten the way it is. If you want to add a salsa, you have 18 options. You know, from really mild to really hot. What's, yeah. your, what's the hottest? The hottest is our uh, Ripper uh, s- salsa, the Carolina Ripper. We have ghost pepper, too. We have... Uh, you have a scorpion pepper. The scorpion too. pepper. Yeah. So all the hot peppers are in there. I tried tried them all yesterday. And Did you? All, yeah. yeah. The Carolina Ripper one's really good. No wonder you didn't call me back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. So a couple of questions. So last... Uh, taco dish that came out? That one is our barbacoa tacos. Now, barbacoa, it's uh, the way we make it in Puebla or in the region where I was born. My dad is known for his uh, barbacoa and it's cooked underground. Now, the when it comes out of out of the, we call it ovens, even though they're not ovens, they're, they're ordinals underground. Uh, they have this smoky flavor because the mesquite that is used to actually heat up that oven or that, that uh, underground uh, cave or I don't know what it's called. It's um, Once they cover it and they leave it there for four hours, it gets this really nice smoky flavor. We call it uh, barbacoa, even though in, in northern Mexico they usually do it with uh, beef. So depending in Mexico where you go, they're, they're going to tell you that barbacoa is different. And it's fine. You know, There isn't only one style of cooking in Mexico, there is a ton of different ways of doing things. And it really depends where in Mexico uh, we're from. And in this case, it's really uh, soft. It has this really nice flavor, a little bit of smoky notes. But at the same time, we use uh, chiles and vinagre, which we make ourselves. They're pickled jalapenos. And then uh, on top, we put um, a little bit of pico de gallo with the, the watercress. Now, watercress for me, it's part of my childhood because uh, as a little kid, I used to go to a river and in this river, there used to be a lot of watercress on the side of the river. So we used to pick it up. It was nice and spicy. We used to put a little bit of lime and salt and we used to eat it just like that with the tacos. So I incorporate a lot of things that are part of my childhood. These are things that I want to share with people. You know, I want to share with everyone these beautiful flavors and ingredients and really fresh too. So a couple things. So, so one of the things I'm hearing is, is it almost appears that through your food, you're trying to challenge people a little bit. So you're ch- challenging preconceived notions. So you you tell someone that you said earlier you don't like onions. Well, let me change your mind. Exactly. Is is that part of your mission at M Cantina? That is uh, actually that is a big part of the mission. Is that I think. You know, we all have things that we don't like. Uh, I remember even myself as a little kid, I hated onions. I hated fish. I hated a lot of things. And then the first time I went to Japan, uh, I never ate fish in my life. And I go to Japan and 
the person that was uh, that took me there, they're like, look, you you're gonna have fish. We basically eat a, a ton of fish. It's mostly fish and pork and this. And I'm like, okay, I'll eat pork. They're like, no, that's not how it works. You came here for business, so uh, you're gonna have to learn to adapt to the the way we do business. If you don't eat our food, then nobody wants to do business with you. I said, okay, I'll try it. I'll eat one little piece and then I'll go eat something else later on. The thing is that they gave me the the fish. I tried it and they taught me how to eat it. They're like, here, you're going to put a little bit of this uh, soy sauce and we have this ginger and we have this and this and this and, and this peanut sauce. And I tried it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. And I was... For the first time in my life, I was honestly impressed. And I was like, I've been missing out because I thought that there was only one way and that all fish taste the same. But then I discovered tuna. You know, tuna, it's not a very fishy fish. So I started with that. That broke the ice. Now I'm a big fish eater. So your your culinary education came from experience of others like teaching or did you I, I apologize if I missed this in the beginning did you have a formal culinary background from I, like schooling or anything like that no I, do, I don't um, in New York I did work in uh, different restaurants mm-hmm. and one of them which I call my school in the I will tell people if you want to really learn the uh, to be a, a great cook you got to work in a restaurant if you spend seven years cooking and you're going to learn everything, basically. And you, and you get the speed. You get... Because, uh, you know, part of uh, being a chef is not just learning how to run a kitchen or how to run a, a, your stuff. It's also your speed at prepping, the different techniques, the different ways of uh, cutting the veggies and doing all of those things, how to prepare them. And that's what I was talking about before, that there is a lot of different ways of actually preparing uh, an onion, something as simple as an onion, and then jalapenos, you know, and learning how to take the the heat away from a jalapeno, where the heat comes from. And so there is a a lot of different details. It's not just about cooking. It's about understanding what Mother Nature gives us, and that takes more than just going to school. It's actually being part of that... um, you know, being part of a restaurant. And the first restaurant I worked at, it was actually a barbecue place, which it just happens to be one of my favorite foods. And, uh, you know, that barbecue place, we do play tribute to that place because that was the school or the place that taught me most of the techniques I know nowadays. And um, we do have our mole barbecue sauce. So what I did, I fusioned one technique with uh, something that is, Kind of like a, a trademark of my state, you know, the mole. Mole, it's, uh, it's known to be something that was uh, made popular in Puebla by the nuns of the convents. And so all of these different things. And the mole we have at the restaurant, my mom actually makes it. Uh, so it's very traditional. But uh, then it comes to my hands and I make it a little bit more modern by giving it a different style, which is the barbecue sauce we do have at the restaurant. Um, Mole is one of those things that I think people don't really understand how complex it is. Um, The average mole has what, about 30 or 40 ingredients? Uh, At least uh, the the one that I've seen that has the least amount of ingredients is 28. And each family has its own way of doing it. It starts, you know, like it's something as simple as the peppers. My mom uses three different kinds of peppers. And um, the reason why you use different kinds of peppers, you know, the chile pasilla, which is uh, poblano peppers but dry, they, um, they're not spicy. So that's going to give it more of a flavor, you know, more uh, pasilla means uh, or pasas means raisins. So it gives it more of kind of like a sweet peppery flavor. But then you, you have chile costeño, which is the costeño is very spicy. That's going to give it the heat. And then you have chile guajillo. Chile guajillo, it's not very spicy, but also it's not very mild, but it has really good flavor. So the combination of those three peppers, it makes for a very well-balanced, uh, you know, mole. And then there is um, 
there are people that they're very heavy-handed with the sugar because it does contain sugar. People think it's uh, it's chocolate. And the reason why they think it's chocolate is because it does contain cacao. Now, the cacao, um, we roast the cacao. Nowadays, in in the big cities, because they don't have access to the uh, cacao seeds, they, what they do, they buy chocolate, they grind it, and they throw it in the molly. Well, that's, you know, you're eliminating a few steps that way. But the real way, you got to toast all of the spices separate. You toast the you know, cinnamon, the clove, the everything, you got to toast it separate. The black pepper and uh, pan tostado, which is the, the dried um, uh, bread uh, powder. And it has sweet plantains. It has, uh, usually it's lard. Ours, it's made with uh, a virgin olive oil. So um, we change it because obviously, like I said, I wanted everyone to try it. And it does taste amazing. Even my mom was amazed when I told her I want to make it with olive oil because, you know, a big part of my clientele, they're Muslim, and I do want them to try real molly. You know, and um, so we had to change that that ingredient for olive oil instead of lard. But it does contain a ton of different ingredients. And first you make a paste, which is called chile frito. It's a chile paste fry. And after you have that paste, then you add the chicken stock. Or in in my case, I grew up eating turkey uh, mole. That's all I knew. Mm -hmm. And then when I came to the U.S., because... Turkeys are not really uh, accessible. My sister-in-laws and everyone makes it with chicken, so uh, chicken mole. But then there's there are other families in Mexico that they eat like uh, duck mole, so mole with duck, mole with iguanas, <laughs> mole with uh, other things that I've never tried. That iguanas? one iguanas, yes. Okay, All right. and I've heard that they taste great. Honestly, I've never had the courage to try it yet. Maybe someday. I will try it, but there is a lot of different things that uh, that we eat in Mexico. Um, that I never had the courage to try it, and so I think this is a good segue to talk about uh, entomophagy, which is the eating of insects. And you brought a whole platter of insects with you. Where did that platter go? It's over here. Let's okay. So I um, I. A couple of years ago, there was an eating insect symposium in Detroit that I was able to attend, and I thought it was a fascinating um, look at uh, th- this. This is a, a very viable protein source, and, and um, once you get over the fact that you're eating insects, Vato is looking at, at like he's kind of scared right, of this wow. whole thing. I saw it on uh, Survivor or something <laughs> like that, right? Like, um, so this is very common in in a lot of places in the world. Right. Yes. In the U.S., it's viewed as kind of like this, I don't know, almost like a nothing more. Like it's not not something that people want to do. Um, I don't mind it at all. Yesterday, in fact, at, at, at M. Cantina, I had the um, – I'm not going to say the word wrong. Tilayuda? Tilayuda. Tilayuda. With the gusanos del maguey. Del maguey, yeah. Yeah. So that's agave worms? Yes. Yeah. So – and that was fantastic. Um so let's talk about this as another part of your mission of trying to get to try trying to get people to try new things. Yes. Why insects? So um insects because you know when people talk about like uh they say oh well this is not really traditional Mexican food. If you wanted to eat really traditional Mexican food uh start right here, you know, with uh, this insects, because the Aztecs used to eat a lot of um, a, a lot of these bugs as part of their dietary daily intake. So, you know, we have a scamoles, which uh, the scamoles are the eggs of the ants. And those ones, usually when they're fresh and they're seasonal, um, they taste amazing. Just a little bit of guacamole, tortilla, and basically that's it. You know, you just fry them a little bit. Uh, lightly fried because they're very fragile. They're delicious. I mean, it's one of the best things you can ever have. And also they contain a ton of protein, very healthy. All of the bugs, actually, these ones that I brought, they contain a lot more protein than a steak by volume. And then... um so, bugs vegan? Uh, <laughs> actually, um, uh, grasshoppers, they're... You know, scientists, they say that grasshoppers are vegan because they don't have a nervous system. 
So because of, because of that, if you read all of the articles about grasshoppers, they say that they they are actually vegan. And um, wow. So <laughs> I, I didn't know that. I was just kidding. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they're also considered to be halal. So it's uh, one of the insects that it, ah, it is halal. Okay. And um, you know, I've gone really far doing my research on halal. What what is halal? What is not halal? And uh, where can I get, you know, like all of these different kinds of meats like uh, Wagyu and w- which we have halal Wagyu at the restaurant, which we brought from Australia. And so we we want people to try things. We want people to experience. We want people to go there and to be like, uh, you know, I want to experience something different. Uh, it's not a guarantee that you're going to love it or you're going to love it on the first time. But you will definitely be challenged in terms of the flavors and the ingredients that you're going to find there. And I think uh, that's what life is about. You know, like if learning about somebody else's culture, in, in my case, it's about, you know, like me sharing with people. Or actually, I would love to share it with the whole world, you know, what uh, Mexican food is. And made, this is what I would eat at home. Right. So I want people to try what I would eat at home, what I share with my family, what my family shares with me. And I think that's what really what's really beautiful is that, you know, when you're feeding your family, you're doing it because you love them, because you care about them. And that's exactly the experience we want to give people here. You know, we actually love the people that come there. We care about them and we want to give them something good. Something really uh, fresh, something really delicious. So, okay, so I, th- I want to go back to the insects for a second um, because I think this idea of like loving and, and eating the—I mean, this is something you eat at home, and this is this is great. And, and I, I, I think it's a, it's a new experience for most people. Um, the escamoles I, I learned in when I was in Mexico recently that that's considered like insect caviar. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I think that's interesting that you brought that one up first. Can you go through what else? What else is here? Yep. So um, going back to the caviar real quick, it, it is known as the Mexican caviar, and it's uh, extremely expensive, uh, basically just like caviar. And um, then we have the chicatanas. The chicatanas are the Ants. Uh, in you, you know, in Spanish we call them the uh, the the hormigas nalgonas or the the big ass ants. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, they come once a year. They come out uh, during the rainy season, so they get collected. Is that these guys? Th- those guys. Yeah. Okay. They are the ones that have the strongest flavor, and also they are the ones that have a little bit more of a crunch. But they, I love them. I think uh, they taste kind of like a barbecue kind of. Uh, they have this kind of cool f- flavor, kind of smoky. Uh-huh. And then uh, the one you're holding, that's our uh, gusanos de maguey. Now, gusanos de maguey, there's two different styles. They're the really large ones, uh, which I don't think I brought today. And then we have this ones. For me, the smaller ones are always the most flavorful. They have the most crunch. Can I? Uh, yeah, yeah, please. And they have... Uh, um, the way my dad makes them, he roasts roast them in Mexico with just lime and salt. Mm-hmm. And then uh, he sends them over. Because this way, you know, they're not considered to be a fresh item. They're actually kind of like a snack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I could see that. Yep. <laughs> and then, um, and that's actually how we eat it most of the time, as a snack or sometimes just a, in a taco. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And um, then we have the chumiles or humiles, depending where in Mexico, you know, uh, people are from. Yep. Mm-hmm. They have this kind of like anise flavor. And at the same time, they have a, a really uh, unique uh, oh, yeah. crunch and flavor to mm-hmm. it. And then we have those ones are actually the... the um, Stink bugs? No, they're they uh, uh, maguey... Um, they're the big worms. Oh. Yeah, so I was talking about the two of them. This one is a lot more mm-hmm. flavorful. Mm-hmm. And then um, we have also the grasshoppers, which are, uh, those are salt and lime. So very simple. And we have the ones that are garlic, chili, and lime. Um, so if you guys want to see photos of these, check, check out our Instagram page, uh, at Herd Podcast. Um, 
or our, or our Facebook um, wall photos of all the insects and all the food that it was given us. Are you going to try any? I, I don't know, man. I'm. Um, <laughs> have you have you never tried? I've an insect? never tried an insect, and I'm um, just like. I mean, he hasn't had an iguana, so. <laughs> uh, um, all right, which one is the one that if you've never had an insect, which one should you start off with? I would That's start one. with uh, if you want something really light, I would go with uh, the scamoles. The scamoles, it's kind of like just buttery and very light. And this is uh, ant <laughs> eggs. Yeah, ant eggs. God and <laughs> you, you know, as a kid, um, I grew up eating the. I'm eating <laughs> ant eggs, everyone. This is they're, they're good, right? Oh yeah, it's good. I mean they they don't really they don't taste. Like bad or anything, they no. just have this creamy flavor. But it's the idea. <laughs> the idea, exactly. It's yes. the it's the mental idea of eating an ant egg. That's like, I mean, it's it's got great flavor. And so I and I want to say that's a really good point. This this mental kind yeah. of, and I want to segue away from insects, but I want to go towards this mental, I the thought that people have that Mexican food needs to be cheap. Okay, so having dined at your restaurant, it's not inexpensive, and having you hurt here. And explaining what you guys do, it's obvious why it's not. But why is there this pre- preconceived notion that Mexican food should be inexpensive? I think it has a lot to do with um, – this is the the way I, I see it because I, I do have a family that started serving food back in the day um, from their apartment. So this is uh, – they would make tamales, right, at home. So – they don't look at, at the expense of the gas that they're using, the pots they had to buy. They, they're they not looking at any of that as an expense. So they're actually just looking at making the food. They're not even taking consideration the time that they're spending to make that food. So let's say they made $100 in profit, and they say, oh, I made $100. But those $100, it covers their cost. So... Their time, what they're paying themselves is $100, so they made zero. So it's not a business, and they're not paying rent. They're not paying taxes because they're going to uh, the corner to sell these tamales or whatever. And uh, so I think that's where the idea starts of because if they had to add, you know, the rent, they had to add the electricity and the insurances and all of that stuff, they could never sell those tamales for a dollar or two dollars a tamale. And that's where people, I think, get that idea that Mexican food, it's inexpensive. Now, when you go to a restaurant and you have all of this, uh, uh, my, a lot of my family in New York, has, they have restaurants. And what they do, they say it comes from an idea in Mexico that cantinas used to actually, used to go to a cantina, which means that they serve alcohol. They would serve you first one plate of like um, antojitos, little bites of things, on the first round of drinks. You order a second round, they send you another plate. So they said, we are not really selling food, we're selling drinks. All of our profit, you know that alcohol is the most profitable, um, you know, it's a lot more profitable than, than food. I mean, food, there is a spoilage. There's a lot of different things. And I think uh, a lot of people, they, they think, okay, I'll sell my food cheap. So they'll come for the, the food, and then they'll stay and have a margarita, which they're selling for $10 or whatever price they have it at. And that's where they're making their money at. And I've heard that from many restaurant people that they have told me. They're like, we don't make money on the food. A lot of times we lose money on the food. But we use it as a, as kind of like to lure people in. And then once they're here, they'll buy a beer, they'll buy alcohol, they'll buy something else. And that's where we're making our money. In the business world, that's called a loss leader in some in some places. A lot of fast food places have that where they'll say, um, we're going to give you uh, a Whopper, say Burger King as an example, for $2. But you you assume they're going to buy a soda and fries and the soda is all profit. Exactly. And, and yes. the fries are the same way. Um now I'm very surprised to having you know I operate a bakery and have having operated on only selling food and the margins, um, using food as a loss leader uh, doesn't make much sense. That's right. Um, so then, how do you convey that? Like when someone comes into M Cantina for the first time and they maybe there's some secret track. You you have a taco that's 
$60 per Se- taco? Uh, $70, oh, yeah, $60 per taco, taco yes. And, and then you have, you have uh, another one that's 75 so 25 per taco, right? Yes. It's, okay. Mm-hmm. So what do you... What is the the? Do you sell a lot of those? And like, what do people say about those? We don't sell a lot of those. Um, I mean, we do sell them, but uh, it's not like our best sellers. You okay. know? Right, <laughs> and, right, right. And uh, the people want to try them because they want to have that unique experience, and they want to try wagyu. And what I tell them is, uh, you know, our tacos are priced depending on the quality of ingredients that we're using. So in the case of the filet mignon, we only use prime meat. Now prime, it's obviously very expensive, more a lot more than choice or than any other uh, level of of, um, of meat, you know. But when you try it, obviously it's going to be an experience. And also... Uh, People are not really used to the techniques that we use here, that it takes 12 hours to cook something. It takes, you know, um, sometimes anywhere from 8, 12, or 15 hours for because it's slow roasted. It's in the oven for a long time, and by the time it comes out, it's just so delicious. When you slow cook food, it's amazing. And because we're not a fast food restaurant, that's another um, idea that people have that Mexican food has to be fast. I want my food. Where, where is my food? And it's like, we don't have anything pre-cooked. I'm going to, the moment you order it, I'm going to cook it. Only the things that I have pre-cooked, and it's because they're, they take 12 hours, it's our short rib and our duck. Because the duck, it's um, it's kind of like duck al ranch, you know. The it's it's a duck confit that we make, and then we finish it by sautéing it, so it gives it that crispiness to the duck. And those are the only two items. Other than that, whatever else you order is gonna take a long time because I gotta cook your meat uh, or your food to order. When you say long time, what is that? That's that's all subjective. I mean, yeah, uh, exactly. Yes. So yes. What, what, I mean. Having dined yesterday, um, I, I didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary at all. Yeah, no, it's like 10, 10 minutes for – so if you order appetizers, um, obviously we send your appetizers. We want you to enjoy the appetizers. And, you know, we don't want to rush you because food um, – one of the things I think when, when I opened that kind of like really set us back a little bit was that I was coming from um, – two-star Michelin restaurant and a three-star Michelin restaurant. So I was used to like kind of like really slow, taking your time because you want people to really enjoy their, their meal and to take in uh, these restaurants, the dinner is anywhere from at least an hour and a half to three hours. In this case, I thought I don't have alcohol. So uh, one lunch or one dinner, it has to have at least half an hour, at least, you know, for us to be able to, let the food slow cook and to come at the right, uh, perfect temperature and everything. Well, uh, because of, you know, people thought that we were either fast food or whatever they think of Mexican food, we started to speed it up and putting all of the heat up on our food to cook it faster. But you have to also understand that the faster you cook, you lose a lot of different things. It's not going to be as juicy it's not going to be as, you know, food is supposed to come out really nice and tender. When you slow cook it, it's one thing. When you uh, rush it, it's a different thing. So we do rush it a little bit. And that's why, you know, now we serve it the, the way we serve it, but with still all the care and the flavor combinations that we have always put out. And um, so I think our food from... Beginning to end, if you order appetizers, it's going to take around 25 minutes from beginning to end. You know, and, and to, to his point, too, like a lot of the restaurants in southwest Detroit, the Mexican restaurants, you know, they're the restaurants that I think that people are really used to. You go in, you're getting a, I don't know, you're getting a burrito smothered with cheese or a side of rice and beans. You order it within a few minutes, it comes out because they're using prepared meats, they're using... You know, a lot of different things. Maybe throw it in a. Uh, they probably don't even salamander. Just throw it in the oven to bake the cheese on, or you're going to a, you know, a fast food Del Taco or Taco Bell or, I guess Dick Casuelas is is the fast food now. Yeah, one in Southwest Detroit, one in Southfield. 
um, to have that kind of approach when it's not out there for the most part. Um, uh, I think we, you know, we had we had uh, the folks from Maxon, so that takes a, a slower, you know, it's kind of a more, in, you know, admittedly Americanized approach to Mexican food, but that's a, definitely a slower approach to sit down and eating. You're not going to get your food right away, but most people are in the in the uh, the Latin world. I think are are following that path of you know quick. So I, you know, kudos to to changing the thing. I, I want to go back to this. This is the that's the tenderloin, right? Yes. And you yes. said that there was jalapeno in there. So I, I, I'm the Mexican that doesn't <laughs> like spice. And I got to say, like what you said about taking the jalapeno and making it different was great because I took, I could get all of the jalapeno flavor and I didn't have that heat that I'm not, that I don't like. I mean, and whether or not it's just taking, it's more than taking the seeds out and the guts out or whatever, but, um, that was that was unique to me. So I mean, I got to try ha- more jalapeno, and I got to try ant eggs. Um, <laughs> uh, Carolina, Carolina Reapers next. What, uh, try the Carolina Reapers. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the, Scol- the Scoville units on that are, are way way too over. Um, the uh, yeah, and uh, we we passed up one drink that we didn't talk about. This one here, and you have a, a something here with an eyedropper. Kind of, like uh, bitters, kind, of, kind yep. of thing. So we do use bitters on some of um, our drinks because at the end of the day, it, it is uh, you know non-alcoholic mixology, and bitters uh, they can be made with uh, zero alcohol. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to basically boil the spices and add a little bit of uh, you know some uh, bitter in botanicals to um, like wormwood or uh, different kinds of uh, bitter in botanicals to give it that. A specific flavor. The one we actually brought here it does contain uh, cachaça. In oh, um, pictures on here. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the the whole idea of the bitters is really to enhance uh, certain aromas or certain notes that you want to get through in the drink. And um, so we use different kinds of um, aromatics like misters and and things that we flame. And uh, at the end of the day, we want people to really go. Wow, this is really cool. This is different. Uh, the the experience I'm having, it's uh, it was worth it coming here, you know. And I want people to discover um, that Mexico is not just one style of food. There's a a million different ways of cooking Mexican food. If you're from the southern, like Veracruz, they eat a lot of fish. Uh, I'm from central Mexico, so a lot of game meats. People don't even know that in that area. Even Mexicans, I tell them, I grew up eating uh, javali, which is a wild boar, because in the mountains where I grew up, there is a uh, wild boar, and there is a lot of deer, and there is a lot of uh, wild turkey, and all of those things. So that's what we used to eat, whatever was around, doves, and which doves are amazing. Uh, quail, it's, it's amazing. But for a lot of Mexicans that are from the coast or the... Oceanside, they eat a lot of uh, fish and things like that, which I didn't grow up eating that because we're inland. We only have catfish and carp, and those were the only two things we had there. So, um, you know, I think um, Mexican cuisine is so diverse and different, and also depending what kind of people settle there at what time uh, or when. And, and in Puebla, we have a lot of uh, Lebanese Turkish, and um, which that's where tacos Arabes come from in Puebla. Yep. And uh, also tacos al pastor, they, they come from the shawarma. Uh, you know, as Mexicans, we eat a lot of pork. So we just swap the lamb for the, the pork, and we started serving, you know, the tacos al pastor. And um, they're, they're or, all over in Mexico on the streets. Exa- the, the, exactly. The, the, the spits, yep. like yep. they're just everywhere. Yep. yep. And that's something that people don't even know. Even a lot of Mexicans, they don't even know that we took that from the style of cooking from, you know, the the Lebanese or from the Turkish. Because even in Puebla nowadays, there is still uh, Turkish uh, restaurants that they opened 50 years ago, you know, like many, many years ago. And um, also Puebla has a, a one town, which is called Chipilo, which is a, that's where all the Italians are. And they speak both languages, Spanish and Italian. And they work a lot with uh, lactose, you know, like a, a lot of cheeses. So Puebla has a camembert, has a, lo- a lot of these European-style uh, cheeses that if I had them at the restaurant, you would say, that's not Mexican. 
even though they are produced in Mexico and they're made in Mexico by Mexicans, except that their background, they're from uh, Italy, you know. And uh, so I think uh, Mexico is very diverse in terms of, you know, the cultures and people. And we have a lot of Jewish people. We have a lot of people from all over the world. So a uh, ton of Asians. If you go, if you ever go to Mexico City, make sure that you go to Mexican town, uh, Chinatown, because Chinatown has a fusion. All the Chinese are doing a fusion of uh, Mexican Chinese. So they're adapting the Mexican flavors and ingredients, but utilizing their techniques and their uh, style of cooking, which is just beautiful. And I think those things is what makes. Uh, culture makes a country, makes a, uh, you know, something really rich because it gives us all this diversity of different styles. There's also La Batalla de Puebla, which is Cinco de Mayo. It's uh, the celebration of only one state. But, uh, <laughs> the you know, it was the Mexican-French uh, war, and a lot of the French stayed there. So we still have also a lot of the French uh, influence which we do use a lot of the French techniques here at the restaurant. And so, you know, there are a lot of different things that people don't know about history that I incorporate, incorporated into my menu or my food. I, I haven't, uh, I'm going to date myself here, I haven't been to Mexico City since before the earthquake. And uh, there, was a, uh, there was a hotel I was staying at. I must have been like eight years old or something like that. There was a hotel there, and they had this gigantic mural in this hotel, and it said, like, the history of Mexico on this mural, the whole like wall. And I think that after the earthquake, that's like one of the things that they saved uh, and they moved it back. And you know, that's probably more than anyone wants to know about my growing up and going to Mexico. And uh, But that's the uh, last time I was in Mexico City. I'd love to go back to Mexico City. I've only been to the you know outskirts and, and when I flew, in, flew into it, but uh, haven't been able to go back and check. I did check out the food in Zay Wantanao, though. And I thought that was pretty unique and, you know, more coastal, as you were talking about. Yep. Um, but the, the the markets there were great. Uh, we had a tour of the farmer's market. Um, you see people out there. And I don't know if it, all of Mexico is like this, but they were uh, measuring things in terms of instead of weight. In ter- they were doing it in terms of can size. Yes, exactly. So you would get yep. uh, peppers. And it wasn't like, I'm going to have a pound of peppers. I'm going to have this this can full of peppers. Yep. And that's how everything everything was dished out in this farmer's market. It's basically a, a, a liter. You know, a lot of times it's uh, they sell like oil for the, for the car. And then they cut the top off. They clean it. They And then they save those cans. So they have or sardine um, cans, the tins. They save it. So they sell it by the, they call it sardina mm-hmm. size. Yeah. Or the big can yeah. <laughs> size, or the big, uh, which is uh, four liters, it's a gallon size. Oh, okay. Um, so the, there's different sizes, and obviously the price changes depending, and it's because they don't use, uh, for the most part, they don't use scales. Only for like, um, I grew up farming, so my family is a farming uh, family in Puebla, and all of our watermelons and papayas and everything is by weight. Because you cannot really measure it in a can, you know, <laughs> you, you got to do it by the size and by weight, uh-huh. and um, yeah, so a, it, it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm showing exactly. a picture of oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the peppers with the with the can. Um, yeah, it's it's it's, it's interesting that the French techniques. Um, those listening that know me know I went to Schoolcraft a long, long time ago. A lot of French techniques taught at Schoolcraft. A lot of they has there's an international. A uh, course that has uh, yeah, a myriad of things, uh, you know, in uh, Latin flavors or, or some of that as well. And Schoolcraft uh, is our sponsor for this episode. Our, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um, they have, they also have uh, four certified master chefs on staff and a master pastry chef. A um, couple of different programs. We got the uh, culinary arts, pro- regular culinary arts associates program, but then they also have the bachelor program, which is unique to. Yeah, that includes a nutrition track, right? Correct. Do do you do a lot of nutrition uh, in your menu planning? We do, uh, just because my wife actually did go to a culinary school, and that was one of uh, she focused more on the, um, you know, serving healthy kind of like offerings, which uh, most of the I would say like eighty percent to ninety percent of what we serve, it's really focused on. 
the intake of um, you know the saturated uh, oils or anything like that. So everything mm. we use there, it's unsaturated and it's the best oils. We use a ton of avocado oh, oils. God, that's perfect. Yeah, uh, avocado oil, a lot of uh, olive oil, uh, coconut. and coconut. We don't use. No. We only use those two. And um, I think the avocado oil is probably what we use the most. Because you get the you get the higher heat. Exactly. And also at the same, uh, the reason is because most of these oils are Mexican and avocado oil or avocados are native to Mexico. So obviously we wanted to stay true to our cuisine and to our uh, style of cooking and what I grew up with. I didn't grow up with the avocado oil, but I did uh, grow up with uh, avocado trees and a lot of avocados. That's why I don't want any tariffs to Mexico because I don't want my avocados to keep going in price. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I go into restaurants and they're like, you know, our avocado is going to be a dollar more, just so you know. Yeah. If you're going to buy something here, it's going to cost a little bit more because we have to pay a little bit more. And it's like, oh, come on, man. You're passing all this on to the consumer. Yeah, of well, course. That's exa- that's, that's, I mean, that's how tariffs work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I'm, just, I'm trying not to get too political here. Yeah, but, but I mean, that's how tariffs work. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because they, at the end of the day, the consumer is the one that pays uh-huh. the, yeah. the price, you yeah. know. And right now we're paying, at some point we were paying $2.50 per avocado. At the restaurant. What? This is, uh, you know, when you're buying something in volume. Now, imagine in the store, that was probably like $3 yeah. each avocado. Yeah. And um, it's really, and I would say, unnecessary because uh, I think when they sell the avocados in Mexico, they're not selling them uh, uh, really expensive. They're probably not even getting a dollar an avocado. Everything's on tariffs and all of that stuff that uh, gets added to the to all the fresh fruits, and we have to remember that 60% of all the fresh ingredients we eat, come they come from Mexico. So tomatoes, which goes in pico de gallo, goes in, uh, and the way I grew up making it, there's different styles in, uh, in, in Mexico of making guacamole, but the way I grew up um, making it, or my, the way my dad makes it, it's, uh, it has the onion, the white onion, it has the red tomatoes, it has the avocado, you, you know the reason for those three colors is the Mexican flag. Right? Oh, yeah. So pico de gallo is exactly the same thing, and that's what people don't understand. Most of our food has the Mexican colors. It has the um, pico de gallo has jalapeno, which is green. It has the white onion, and it has the tomatoes. And then the cilantro, the lime, and all of that, the salt. But uh, the main ingredients represent the Mexican flag, the peppers or the mixture of the fajita vegetables, which is uh, red bell peppers, green bell peppers, and white onion. Again, again. same thing. So uh, Mexican food, it represents chiles and nogada. It's exactly the same thing. It has the white uh, almond sauce on top. It has the pepper, which is the green. It has the pomegranate seeds, the three colors. So everything has kind of like represents the, the, the Mexican colors. Okay, so you guys have been open two years. You celebrated two-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you um, so much. Where are so – you're located in Dearborn. What's the address? The address is uh, 13214 Michigan Avenue. Okay. Um, and where can people find M. Cantina online? Uh, at mcantina.com. mcantina.com. Junior, thank you for being with yeah, us. Thank My you pleasure. So much. Thank, thank you for, for having this. me here. It's been awesome. Thanks thank for you. all this uh, incredible no food thank and you. drink. Um, thank you once again to uh, Schoolcraft College for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about their culinary program, visit schoolcraft.edu slash culinary. Until next time, dine well,